How can we as moms and moms-to-be who are more overwhelmed and worried than ever about our kids find natural, safe, effective, and real-life ways to nurture and cultivate amazing human beings? That is the question, and here are the answers. This is the Parent Coffee Talk, and I'm Dr. Roseanne. I'm Dr. Cleopatra. Let's get started. everyone. This is Dr. Cleopatra and I'm here with Dr. Roseanne and and we have a very special guest today, Jessica Sherman. And we're so excited that you're here with us, Jessica. Thank you for being here. This is awesome. Yeah. We get to hang out. Yes. Yes. Hang out, right? I'm going to do try to do your bio some justice and, you know, read it. So Jess is a former teacher and a registered holistic nutritionist and family health educator specializing in health and resilience for kids. For over a decade, she has worked alongside naturopathic and medical doctors, family counselors, therapists, occupational therapists to bring an understanding of the power of good nutrition and how important it is for children's physical, mental health, learning and resilience She's a Canadian, which automatically makes her cool. Totally. Canadians, just <laughs> totally. like Europeans. Like they're kind of like, um, I go to a lot of all-inclusive resorts and they're always filled with Canadians. And so I have lots of Canadian friends because they're just so, you know, and, and down to earth. And, uh, you know, that's what Dr. Cleopatra and I are all about. Totally. Um, so, so welcome. Thanks for joining our conversation about supporting moms to be and moms, because that's what we like to do. And, you know, we're all out there in the world trying to really master this parenting thing. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and nutrition is just such a big part of it. And it's something that as soon as you say nutrition, Jess, people like recoil because they're like, oh my God, she's going to tell me not to eat things and do mm-hmm. things, right? Yeah. Yes, I know. And it's so interesting. You know, I I was thinking about this the other day, actually, really recently, I was thinking, you know, there was a time when it probably would have been like, I I was thinking about how delicate that conversation is, right? First of all, what you what you just said, which is, oh, my God, they're trying to tell me to take all kinds of things out of my diet, which is not what I'm going to tell you. But and then the second thing is, oh, my God, I'm just doing the best I can to shut up already. Right? That's the other thing. Which, which you are, absolutely, but I'm not going to shut up about it because it's important. And, and what I was the, where this brought me was because I was thinking the other day, there was a time when like suggesting that your child, you know, go to a therapist or have a psychoanalysis or have a certain accommodation around their learning or something like that or go on a medication. That was like taboo, like, oh my God, super delicate conversation, not taboo, but you know, a really hard conversation. And now it's like every kid has an IEP, like kids are wearing the accommodations in the classroom and their headsets and like no biggie. So I I was like, why can't we get to that place around food? Like around that it's just like, yeah, you know what? You're doing the best that you can with the resources, the the resources that you have. Here are some other resources that might make it easier for you. But that's a great question. Like why are people not giving up their junk food? Or I like to say crap. Eating. Um, like, why are they not giving it up? Like, it's for, I say all the time, for me, I didn't know enough 
you know, my daughter of Italian immigrants and food was medicine. So like, I didn't know that you shouldn't have, like my mother used to send me in with soups and beautiful Portuguese rolls with homemade roast beef on them and stuff like that. You know, so I get it. My culture, that's part of what it is. You Italian Americans are not eating real Italians. Most of them are eating because they eat a lot of we call verdure, which is the green, which is red. I mean, which is vegetables. And, you know, part of it's cultural. Part of it's a belief, like a comfort. They, they think that. And also the thing that I hear the most, Jess, in my ritual Connecticut Center is that people say kids won't eat it. You know, and I think that's a fallacy, right? Because, you know, what are your thoughts about that? But your kids, you cut out for a second, but you're saying that the no, kids... No, your kids, it. people say to me all the time, your kids won't eat it. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, ooh, that's juicy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, your kids won't eat it. I think, I mean, that's one of the... I work with a lot of picky eaters, a lot of parents who are just like, you know, everybody who, who enters into my world has some degree of doubt, right? Some degree of like does food really matter? Or can I really do this? Or will my kid really eat it? Like there's some degree of, I don't know, or they may, they might really know that it matters, but they can't get their kid to open their freaking mouth. And it's a, it's a real, it's a real thing, but it's what I say about picky eating is that picky eating is a behavior. Pickiness with food is a behavior, right? And like any behavior, it's got roots, it's got legs, it's got, there's something causing it. It's our kids, our kids do one thing really well. It's that they react, they respond, right? They're super responders. So what are they responding to, Mm -hmm. right? That's making them shut their mouth. And, you know, we can go into what those things are. Like there's a lot of them, but Mm -hmm. um, if you really want your kid to eat, you got to figure out why they're not eating. Cause not, you're not born, not eating. Like eating is a (laughs) non-negotiable, Right? Yeah. Like you gotta eat if you want to be healthy. Uh-huh. And um, so it's a big, huge topic, but I, I do caution parents. I say, you know, if you find yourself slipping into that mentality of like, oh yeah, they just won't eat it. Even if you've tried like 17,000 times, uh, they just won't eat it. You've like closed the book. I just sort of suggest that why don't you just change that language? Could you just change that language to like leave the book a little bit open, even just a little bit to say, they won't eat that right now. They won't eat that today. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try it again. Like, and even to say that language to your child, language is, is big, like what words we use. And so even to like say that to your child, instead of being like, oh, you're such a picky eater or, you know, you won't eat anything. Things like just a small shift, like, hmm, you don't like that today. We'll try it again another day. I was just going to say, I feel like food is so deeply personal. It's cultural, but it's also very individual. It's influenced by how people are feeling, the social context that they're in. If that's the the case for grownups, then isn't that to some degree the case for children as well? Because they're learning this from us early on, right? So how do you deal with that component of how deeply personal food and eating are? And respecting that in children while also ensuring that they get to have and cultivate the healthy habits that we want them to. Man, you guys are good questions. I feel like I want to sit here and chat with you all day. We can do uh, it. <laughs> I, you know what I, here's what I like where that question brought me. I think something that has been lost is this idea of food culture, uh, right? Like, Rosanne, you brought it up and then 
Dr. Cleopatra, like you just brought it up again, that it is, it's personal and there, there are cultural influences. Yeah. 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 Around food. And, and one thing that I think has been lost in our, in, as things have gotten busy in our busyness is that we don't really think much about the culture that we want to create in our families, right? Like your family unit is a culture it is. and it's informed by a bigger culture of, you know, whatever culture or religion or whatever, but your family is a culture. And when we first get pregnant and we have our babies, we're like in that baby bliss kind of zone for a little while. And then it's like <laughs> learning curve, like treadmill, right? Like you cannot take a breath because there's so much to learn and there's so many curveballs thrown your way. And that conversation about what actual culture do we want to set up in our family mm-hmm. often gets a food culture is part of that. Like it's a subcategory of what kind of culture do we want? Like what kind of discipline culture do we want? What kind of relationships do we want? What kind of words do we use? All that stuff. What kind of food? What do we do about food in our family? It's one of the first things that I do with my clients. And usually people come to me when they're in crisis, right? They're having a, like something has happened and we need to change our diets. And the first thing I have them do is really actually even before they work with me, because if they're not ready to do this, then they're not ready to work with me, is think about what's the vision that you have for your family's health? What do you want to create around food? What are the expectations that you want? Because if you don't have that vision, you got no heck, like you got no way of getting there. Jess, I love this. I love that you're saying what's the vision for your family's health. I don't want to move on from that. Because I think that visualizing in every area is is so important. And I think when you say that, and I love that you say that with the families that you work with, what's Mm -hmm. the vision do you have for your family's health? Mm -hmm. You know, it makes it so much easier to see the health and what and what's there. But you're right, like everything about us, we have a culture, there's different points, we have different value systems, you know, um, in our family, the Hodge family, as I inherited from my family, and I know that you ladies feel the same way, food is very, very high in our family culture. We pick vacations actually based on where restaurants are located or the ratings of the resort. We use an app called Find Me Gluten Free. I don't know if Cleopatra knows that. No, we literally, I didn't so, know about um, it. That's- we go out like on my kids. Now my kids know, right? We get a lot of food excitement. We call it food porn. I will read the menu in advance before the restaurant. And I'm like, oh my God, kids listen to this menu. <laughs> and, and even my teenager will be like, can you read that again? Like, I'm like, oh, listen to this steak with a Madeira sauce and blah, blah, blah. And then he'll be like, oh, I'm having that. And obviously I don't read, they're one of the friends we go to, they don't really have junk. They get really excited. It kind of stimulates their appetite or whatever, but that's how serious we are about food. Little kid came home, I think he was six. And he said to me, John Carlo is like a celebrity on this podcast. Yes, so he, is. John, he is. So John Carlo came home to me and said, Mom, I'm not going to college. And I said, What's going on? And he said, I heard there's bad food. And that I said, is Awesome. Is that hysterical? So I said, Hey, I got a solution. He said, What's that, Mom? I go, There's a top 10 list every year that they put out for colleges. <gasps> we can work off of that list. That's so funny. I thought you were going to say you can, you say you can stay at home and go to college. So he he stopped for a second. He said, 
we can work with that. Mom. That's awesome. <laughs> that so, is- you know, it's really funny. He was so into, he's so into the food. My kids are such foodies because guess what? That's our family culture. Mm-hmm. So we're, well, you know what? It, yeah. You know yeah. what I love about that is because you're talking about it in such a loving, nourishing yeah. way. Yeah. There's a word that guides me. It's the nourish, it's nourishment. Oh, I love right. It. And this is why, you know, like the first thing, I can't remember which one of you said that the first thing is like, when I say nutrition, they're like, oh, you're going to tell me not to eat all kinds of things. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to talk about how to deeply nourish our bodies, mind, body, and soul, right? Like it's about what we eat. It's about how we eat. It's about how we talk about food. It's about how we gather around food because food, like it's a double-edged thing, right? Especially now that it has the potential to really galvanize a family, bring a family together, foster connection. But it has the potential to do the exact opposite too, and I see that a lot. I'm just well, you like, usually so much food getting in the way of learning, attention, and, and interfering with resiliency of kids. And I know that's one of your specialty areas. I would love for you to talk about some res- building resilience and how nutrition is linked to all these health issues, which is the three of us are very, very into this. Cleopatra's into this, you know, you mentioned with mamas. So mamas are so serious about their nutrition and they get it. They're they're serious about it with their babies. And then some of us continue, right? And sometimes people lose along the way because of what are common complaints, convenience, you know, my kids won't, won't eat this, all these other things. All that. Yeah. Yeah. A million things. Yeah. Well, I was a million and 10 things that would get in the way. Totally. Yeah. I was I was actually thinking about so in the trimester protocol, we have a specific way of of eating and it's a, a minimalist approach to food and and we call it our nutritional gifts. But I had a light bulb go off. Instead of like guidelines or rules, they're gifts that we're giving ourselves and our babies and our grandbabies because we're creating this epigenetic change that's gonna outlive us for generations, right? And uh, I had this aha moment when you talked about nourishment that I want to call, change it to instead of our nutritional gifts, our nourishing gifts, because that is so much more beautiful and nourishing. It fe- Instead of feeling restrictive and, and kind of like a rule book, it feels so life-giving. And I think that that's what food is supposed to be like. And for us in our, our house, our family culture around food is, is that food strong enough for me? So it's not like, you know, you can't, you don't eat that because it's not healthy, but it's like, oh, I'm so much stronger than that. I need food that can match my strength, my brain, my body, my bumps, as we call them, our muscles. And so I think that that, that just changes the feeling surrounding how you make decisions. It can feel depleting or it can feel exciting and like luxurious. And I think that's so beautiful. And I'm really curious to hear what are the resilience foods that you teach kids about and parents about? Say again, (laughs) another juicy one. Um, I always approach things from this perspective of of nourishing our bodies, exactly what you're talking about and, and talking to our kids about nourishing our bodies. And that's not to say that some foods don't have to go. Like we have, we live in a culture right now where there's a whole lot of non-foods that are masquerading as foods yes and well said and they gotta go but if if they don't have to go right now like they don't have to go 
so I get a lot of people coming into me like bug eyed. They're like, my doctor said I have to take out 27 things and my kid's addicted to sugar and I don't know what I'm going to eat. And I hate to cook. And they were like given a list. And I don't want to bash anyone. It's just that this is what I see, right? Like, because they're right. They're right. Those things need to go. And, but not yet, right? If your kid's only eating two foods or three foods, <laughs> we're not going to take them out just yet. We're going to work on expanding the palate first. It's going to be painfully slow, but we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll look at getting these irritating foods out because they're not nourishing, not because there's anything bad about them, because they're not nourishing for yeah. our bodies. And I think that language is really important because we're talking about kids. If we were talking about adults, I'd be like, yeah, get the sugar out. Like, let's, yeah. let's do this. I'd be a lot more blunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we're talking about kids and kids like, you know, everything's going in there and the messages are important. So Okay, so what are they? I mean, it's anything that is going to bring our bring nutrients into the body. It's anything that is not going to wreak havoc on blood sugar. It's anything that's not causing inflammation and irritation. Mm-hmm. And it's anything that's good for the gut. So what is that? That's most real whole foods that come from the earth. So it's not rocket science. It's not like super complicated. The, the complicated part is implementing that. So, so information is not what most people need. Like in for most of us have information overload. We're like, oh, my kid should be eating this many vegetables and that many of this. And we don't need more information. What we need is to focus on actually getting it done. Yes. Amen. So how do you, yeah. you have some tips. What are your top three tips for implementing that rule of thumb? <laughs> three? Mm-hmm. Three. Yeah, because it's okay. a process. I mean, I think what what you bring so much value to people is this is something that we experienced this on our own journey. I never knew another way, but most parents need some guidance and handholding and that's okay. Like it's really okay. And what I love about you as a professional and an expert, they give you the hacks. You're not out there on your own trying to figure it out and Googling it. You know, you get you get help and you're like, oh, I didn't know that I could have that. Oh, I didn't know this could taste so good. You know, mm-hmm. I think making food taste really good is critical. I mean, I'm Italian. Which is, so that, which is yeah. awesome because the spices and herbs, like the, what makes food delicious is actually super health promoting. Putting in a lot of good yummy fat in food, you know, olive oil yeah. and coconut, yeah. the butter, you know, all different kinds of stuff, right? Coconut oil, I should say, not butter mm-hmm. for some yeah. If you want like a tip, I would say the first thing, the first thing that I think about is, which I would love like anyone listening, like if you want to make a change, if your food culture has not developed the way you hoped it would or want, wanted it to, because you never really gave it a consideration. And all of a sudden you have like food battles and all of this stuff. The way to change this hands down is to first start with the parents. If both parents are on board with the same messaging to the kids, regardless of whether they live together you will be so much more successful to do that. Like find a time and a space. I know that can be really challenging (laughs) to talk to each other (laughs) and create the vision. Like what it, what is the health that you want Mm. for your family? And then your next logical steps will come out of there. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that vision, like it's going to be hard because you're talking about change. You're talking about changing something right? Unless you're lucky enough to be doing this when you're pregnant or pregnant or infancy where you haven't, yeah, yeah, you haven't like gone the whoop. So create that vision because you're going to have pushback (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say kickback, but it's not kickback. You're going to push back. Your kids aren't going aren't gonna to like this because it's change, right? It's going to yeah. be hard. And if you don't have that vision, then you're going to give up. Chances mm-hmm. are. So that would be the, my first tip. And then you want some like nuts and bolts of the, like the game changing food things in terms of like I mean, what whatever you're your top tips are. I mean, I love that. I think your first one, you know, that's just you as a couple or co-parents or whatever you are, there has to be consistency, whether it's discipline or mm-hmm. your core values, mm-hmm. you know, that's really important. And, you know, in all those areas, you have to role model and that's food too, you know, so that people will say, Oh, I don't want to give up this and I don't want to give up that or whatever. These are not easy things, but we have to be the role models for their kids. And if we want people to be nourished, our children to have the highest level of nourishment, you know, this is beneficial stuff for parents too. I've had quite a few parents uh, who have separated and really don't communicate with each other very well. So, you know, usually it's one of the parents who's like, I really want to get a handle on this, but Mm -hmm. my partner's not, or my ex-partner's not on board. Um, In that case, like there's still a lot you can do, but you've got to manage your expectations. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely no doubt at this point in my career, at this point in my research and this point in my family's, no doubt whatsoever that food makes a difference to a child's ability to learn their stability of their moods, oh, yeah. their ability to focus. That is just a truth for me. So we I know a lot of people, you a hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, a lot of people are unsure and they're like testing the waters, but I'm not sure. I'm not unsure at all. So if you have a situation where the parents are not on board and like kids eating one way at one house and you just have to manage the expectations. This can still be a tool for you. You can raise the resilience. This is why I focus on resilience. You can raise the resilience of the body while they're with you. And then you can expect that it will get, you know, eroded a little bit. But then at least you know what to expect when they come back to you, right? You can understand why they're having the meltdowns, why you're getting the phone calls home from school. It's when we understand our kids that we can help them. So you can address them with compassion because you know, this is what happened for the last five days. I think that's so powerful. So the first step is really creating a shared vision of what you want your family's health to look like. And then once you have what that is, you can, it guides all of the decision-making that comes after it, right? Like, are we going to eat at this place? Are we going to eat this for dinner? It does it get us to where we want to be in our vision. That's right. I reflected on this in my own life. It's really hard for me to give my kids junk. Like it's emotionally trying. It's like to to see them eat like cotton candy at a festival. Like me too. I'm just like, it's hard. So parents tell me, you know, they they don't want to, they don't want to deprive their kids of the thing. Like, you know, they don't want their kids to feel different or what have you. At some point, on this journey, if people who are listening are in that camp of being like, yeah, but I feel like a bad I feel at some point on this journey, things shift and it becomes, it might start off being hard to do the right things or the, you know, the things we're talking about is the right things, feed your kids, super healthy food. At some point it becomes really hard not to. Does that make sense? That is so, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Especially, Jess, like if your kid has, you know, a learning, emotional or behavioral problem or a physical problem, which 54.2% of U.S. children have, Mm -hmm. you know, it really becomes hard to not give them 
the best foods that you can because boy, do they need every ounce of extra bit of brain power that they can. And nutrition is just such an immediate and easy thing to do. Like it's unbelievable. So, um, you know, just even as an adult, like I'm like, okay, I have been overworking and I haven't been getting enough protein. So like I changed up what I was bringing and, you know, I'm a super healthy eater. It was more about what nutrients I was getting Mm -hmm. to help power me up. Even for us as as families over the years, we made decisions based on uh, which activity we were going to do or not, because it might um, create a low blood sugar thing Mm -hmm. if my kid couldn't eat there. It was like, oh, sorry, can't do that. Because both my kids tend to get low blood sugars. And Mm -hmm. so then they get like truly hangry. <laughs> um, and I well, it's like, awesome oh, that you know it. that. Like that that's a that's a tool that you have in your toolbox yeah. and you can understand your kids so you can make decisions on their behalf. And guess right? what happened, which is beautiful, having a younger child and a teenager, they recognize that in themselves and they specifically will come to me and say, I need meat, right? Because uh-huh. that's their thing. So I always uh-huh. sort of like jerky around with me and nuts and high protein snacks. Mm-hmm. And they know that. When if I can get the families that I work with to that point where their kids are asking for the stuff and understanding their bodies, I'm like, woo! You know, like that's the ultimate. That's what we want for our kids, right? It's yeah. Like, oh, and it's, I tell my kids like, I'm going to make decisions for you about your health and your safety because that's my job mm-hmm. until you show me that you can make those decisions for yourself. Yeah. And at some point, you're going to have to make them for yourself. That's called growing up. But they're not going to be able to make those decisions unless we teach them how to make right. those decisions. Right. And, you know, as teenagers, will they explore outside? They will. But I'm actually quite pleasantly surprised that, you know, my teenager, you know, when given a choice between a healthy snack that he's used to or something junky, he's way more likely to have a healthy snack. Does he try to sneak soda? Oh yeah, he does try to sneak soda. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, it, it's just, you know, for us, it's a non-negotiable when he's with us, but he finds ways, but it's so minimal. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, tossing back sodas, but like <laughs> if I gave him a choice between, you know, a steak or chili and a soda, oh, he's going to pick a chili or a steak. Every time. <laughs> I love it. I feel so proud, like, because the food is such a part of my, our culture in our family culture. It's such a big thing. So the first big tip was that, what are some other tips that you have for families other about nutrition yeah, and getting more nourishment? Getting more nourishment. I would say the next big game changer that I see for families is when they get a handle on breakfast. Mm. And I know there's like, there's a lot of, you know, there's intermittent fasting, there's people who are eating later, there's, there's a lot of stuff around that. What I've seen with kids, a lot of them are just really sensitive to blood sugar. And I don't know if this is some kind of epigenetic shift that's going on, but more kids just seem, or, or maybe it's just because they're eating a really, most of them are eating a really high carb diet. But pretty much across the board, I'm seeing that kids do better on a high fat, high fiber, mm-hmm. um, higher protein than carbohydrate kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a diet. I know a lot of, you know, especially older kids don't want to eat in the morning. And again, you got to kind of dig a little bit. What's the reason for that? And if they don't want to eat in the morning, then having them take something with them that they can eat because they're going to get hungry at around 10 or 11 o'clock. 
mm-hmm. and you don't want them reaching for a chocolate bar. So this is for like the older kids that I'm thinking of. I do see that being a big, if, you're, if your kids are breakfast eaters, um, connecting as a family at, in the morning. I know it's really hard for a lot of families, but it sets them up for secure attachment and secure con- connection, giving them something that is higher in fiber and fats. I see that as a, a real game changer for a lot of kids. And, and I just also want to emphasize with that, that when I say this, I feel like I'm putting a lot of pressure on families because I know what breakfast looks like for a lot of people. But it just really does make a difference when you connect with them in the morning and sit yes. rather than like grab something, eat in the car on the way, like from an attachment parenting kind of perspective, it really helps. That's a, a really good point. I love yeah. that. It is important. And, you know, a lot of times um, with older kids who won't eat, you will have a shake or um, just like some almond milk with or coconut milk with a little bit of protein powder in it. Just something like just to keep their protein levels up and get some fat. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about, you know, the diet you're talking about, you're talking about very adrenal nourishing diet, which so many of our kids and us are stressed, right? So healthy fats, consistent protein with a balanced amount of carbs and a lot of greens, really nourishing for your adrenal system, which is important in every aspect of development, whether you're a mama um, trying to have a baby or you just had a baby, like any time in hormone flux. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. This part, I think it is environmental, but I think our kids are in a bit of hormonal, a bit of a hormonal mess. I mean, they're in what I call a stress storm, which is this, like they've been under more stress than like they are under more stress than ever before, just in, in life in general, things have sped up. There's more expectations. There's environmental toxins. There's all kinds of stress. And at the same time, it's really become harder to get the nutrients into them that their stress response mechanisms need to function because let's remember that our nervous system runs on nutrients. Mm-hmm. So there's this mismatch of like, God, I can't get enough into them, too much stress. And so of course we're seeing what I call eroded resilience, which is a hyper responsive or a dysregulated nervous system that looks yeah. like all kinds of things from ADHD to depression to just a, a poor response to stress. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Anxiety. Anxiety is like through the roof. Through the roof. It's true. Yeah. I, at the same time, while well, you and your center, that's what you're coping with and helping people with every day. And for this, I see the same thing in my my mama's mom to prepare for pregnancy or they need help um, and support reconnecting with their own innate fertility because anxiety and depression are so depleting for the body over time. And also as a professor, the anxiety on college campuses among the students is off the charts. I mean, you can just feel it. It's really incredible. The pressure is high. The stakes feel high for everyone. And I think it starts a lot younger than it used to. World, let's, you know, let's not get it twisted. And elsewhere in the world, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure much earlier, but it's different. And and I mean specifically in the developed world context. Yeah. And it spans all ages. And I've, I've looked at that. I know I, I just created a, a report for, because I'm, I'm, I'm an ex-teacher. So I like, I know it's school systems. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who are still teaching. 
and have been over 15-ish years. And I also have a lot of like doctor friends. Mm -hmm. So my teacher friends and my doctor friends, and I'm seeing this too, but all of us and you guys, right? Everybody is seeing dysregulated nervous systems. Our kids cannot handle the stress that they're exposed to now. And there's two sides of that. And this is where, I mean, this is kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, but this is where the conversation about stress falls apart because there's a lot of like, you know, talk about reducing stress. I do see like there's yoga in the classroom and there's, there's, um, you know, Mm -hmm. taking body breaks and there's stuff going on, which is all really good. There's this part of the conversation that's missing, which is that our nervous system runs on nutrients. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's mm-hmm. built all the neurotransmitters, the hormones, like the enzymes, like right. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Conversation because when you tell people, you know, usually this, they recoil, as we said, and then I explain the nutrient part, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, you know, I mean, it's just a common sense thing. There's lots of research to substantiate nutrients and how they power up the body and how we're missing this and what happens if you're low in this and you know the best way to get it is through your food I still believe in supplementation because we have so many mutations but it's really important so what's your last big tip for families that are you know really how important nutrition is and changes these are great tips oh I was just gonna say if I may if this fits with how you are going to respond I'm really curious about a tip for creating resilience through nourishment that is specifically about brain resilience or cognitive resilience? Well, I mean, on a real practical note, Mm -hmm. healthy fats, which was already mentioned. And thank goodness, this is another one of those things. Like it used to be really taboo to talk about fat. And now we know, no, you really need fat, but particularly your nervous system. Yes. And you know, every kid is different in terms of what they can tolerate. But I say like in general, aim for like four to five tablespoons of extra fat. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about like school age child a day. Like that's aside from your food, your fatty food. That's like olive oil drizzled on top or MCT oil drizzled on top or thrown into the smoothie or a dressing or Mm -hmm. a gravy that has extra fat in it or whatever. Like like actual oils. And here's another really quick tip on that. I do see that a lot of people get stuck in a rut oils um, because something will hit, hit the headline, be like coconut oil. It's okay yes. for everything. So yes. they'll, they'll be like, I use coconut oil for everything. Yes. Or I use avocado oil for everything. Yes. And, and just catch yourself if you're in that because our kids need all the fatty acids. Mm-hmm. They need the monounsaturates, the polyunsaturates. The, they need all of them. So switch it up. Yeah, switch it up. Just I love that you gave parents like an explicit thing, four to five tablespoons, you said. And I don't think I've ever heard somebody tell an exact amount. So that's really great. So what are some of your favorite fats? So olive oil, coconut so, oil. Yeah, and, and I'll answer that in just a sec because I'll just give a caveat with the four to five tablespoons. Yeah. Like that's a lot sure. of extra fat. That's a lot of extra fat. So usually I'm I'm usually I'm working with kids who have cognitive deficits who are, you know, have nervous system issues and really, really want to boost that up. And sometimes it's because they're not actually absorbing their fat. We work up to four to five, like don't just start giving your kids tons of fat Mm -hmm. because they get nauseous. They might get constipated. They might get diarrhea. Like it might not sit Mm -hmm. well with them. 
can have a high level of fat with a high level of, you know, you can't have with sugar or white based flour, you know, high level of carbs because you will get. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So you don't want to have like like deep fried carbs. It's kind of like that's, that's the bad combination is, is, is like a carb carbs and fats don't seem to mix very well, but I do, I do try not to, I mean, I, I try to transition people away from a high carb diet anyway. So, um, brain health, I don't, this is a brain health, right? So, yeah. you know, it, and that's important for people to realize that you're eating for, you're optimizing your brain. And so you asked about the oils, but I just, yeah, I just really want people to understand, like a lot of these cognitive issues are coming from the fact that they're your kids, not um, metabolizing the fat, using it, breaking it down properly. So that could be an epigenetic kind of thing or a genetic thing. It could, it could have all kinds of roots to it, yeah. but so what, if you feel like, Oh my God, I'm doing that already. <laughs> um, but what fast oil. So I keep it simple. I keep it. I'm all about simplicity. Like I've got three, I'm raising three boys and it's, you know, a nut house around here and I'm trying to keep them all fed. So I keep it simple. So I have olive oil, Olive oil and avocado oil are kind of similar in their in their um, composition. So I go back and forth. I, I tend to pre- prefer olive oil just because I like the taste of it. But avocado is kind of nice because it doesn't have a taste. Mm-hmm. So I go between those two. Those are kind of the same category. And then coconut oil and butter for mm-hmm. the saturated fats. Uh, and ghee, if the ghee is expensive, but it's, it's a pretty awesome fat. Those are yeah. your saturated fats. Mm-hmm. And then we use, what else do I use? I actually use organic lard, but I do, I, I do it because it's actually a really healthy, balanced fat in terms of it's unsaturated and it's saturated fat. It's about 50-50. I did not know that. I have never used lard in my life. Yeah. I, and it's, I, don't, I get it from a farmer. Like we happen to have a local farmer who raises their own pig and, pigs and render their own lard. That's really the only circumstance that I would suggest lard because they're super healthy animals. So, uh, but yeah, from a fatty acid perspective, it's a pretty good one. And one that's similar if you don't do animal stuff is red palm oil, beautiful red, deep red, colorful, full of antioxidants. And it's also about 50, 50 saturated, unsaturated. So yeah. So I like those ones and uh, that's pretty much all I cook with. So that's giving me saturated and unsaturated. And then for the polyunsaturated that you don't want to cook with, I give my kids fish oil. Do you ever use any of the seed oils, like sunflower seed oil or those? Occasionally, I will. Um, Camelina oil is a really lovely one, which is local to Canada. So I sometimes use that. What is it called? Camelina. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Never heard of it. Me either. Canadian. You got to come to Canada. Canadian, <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I, I sometimes use uh, sunflower, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the, of the processing of it. Processing. Yeah. I, I just mm-hmm. feel like, you know, there are more helpful choices. We want to simplify things and not use too many things. So yeah, let's just use the things that we know are super helpful for the, for the brain and the body. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, and especially like organic olive oil, so accessible. You can mm-hmm. go into any store and they're going to have it. And it's a good oil that most people like the flavor of. I tend to use it on just very low heat or just drizzling on top because it's got those polyphenols in it. Those get destroyed by cooking. 
So I tend to cook with the saturated fats. So the butter or the, or the coconut oil, mm-hmm. and then use the other ones for flavor. That's exactly what I was going to ask you about. <laughs> That's okay. wonderful. This yeah. is so valuable and so helpful. And I think just the idea that there's this immediate and strong connection between nourishment and between the way that our children behave and take in information and respond to information can be a really revolutionary idea for some people. And so I thank you so much for bringing that information here to our mamas and mamas-to-be. Thank you so much, Jessica. And thank you for the incredible work that you do because I know that when families need you, they need you urgently and you are such a relief to them. It's a process. I mean, it's a process, right? Like it takes... And any family can do it, Jess, right? They can, you know, like I, I think that's a part of it. And, and, you know, it's wonderful that you are such a resource and bringing mm-hmm. relief to people. And what I love about changing your diet, like everyone always thinks the worst, but like, it's something that's such a quick difference. It produces changes that you feel differently. And some kids' behaviors can start being impacted positively very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful place to start. And it's really critical for for everybody's health, but even more so for somebody that has emotional issues or behavioral issues or learning or social, it's mm-hmm. necessary. So, mm-hmm. and I just want to say that it, it really can be a joyful, joyful journey. And I like your positive language and just remember every family, like what's your vision? Mm-hmm. That's pretty, I love that. Yeah, so good. Really. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you what's so much. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks everyone for being here. We'll see you again really soon. Bye, Jessica. Bye, Dr. Rowe. Bye, mamas. Are you feeling just as overwhelmed as the families you're working with? As a therapist, you were thrown into virtual technology and you've been searching high and low for effective ways to turn the dial with your clients in teletherapy. I've got an aha moment to your feelings of overwhelm and uncertainty. The Teletherapy Toolkit is the only book available, and it has 450 pages of therapeutic activities, information sheets, and checklists to help children, teens, and families not only keep them engaged, but also facilitate that change. Go to www.teletherapytoolkitbonus.com for your free therapist activity decision tree to help you decide if a session activity is therapeutic or not and some pretty great videos just made for you.